The Hypnobirthing Toolkit is a complete hypnobirthing and birth preparation course helping you to go into the birth of your baby with confidence and positivity. It's completely self-paced with pre-recorded videos, presentations, audios, PDFs, plus monthly live classes. It's a more affordable and flexible way to learn hypnobirthing and help you have the positive birth experience you deserve. Follow the link in the description below to begin your positive birth journey today. Hello and welcome to the Bell Mama Hypnobirthing and Positive Birth Podcast. My name is Ellie Waddington. I'm a hypnobirthing teacher, antenatal instructor and positive birth coach. And I'm here to help you go into the birth of your baby with a positive mindset. Every week I share my top tips, advice and amazing birth stories to help you go from fearful and anxious about your birth to positive and confident. Make sure you hit the subscribe button and let's get into this episode. Hey gorgeous mama and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today I'm joined by special guest B from Bee's Birth and Boobs. B is a hypnobirthing teacher just like me and she is also a breastfeeding counsellor. Today in this episode she's going to talk to us all about the things that you can start doing now to prepare for a positive breastfeeding journey. I hope you enjoy the episode. Right, hello B. thank you so much for joining me today, how are you? Oh thank you so much for having me on, I'm really excited to chat. Yes, excellent, excellent. Um, so if you could just start off by introducing yourself, who you are, where you are, what you do, and that sort of thing. Absolutely. My name is Bee. I am a hypnobirthing teacher and natal instructor. I'm based in Leicestershire, Nottinghamshire. I'm basically where I am in a tiny little village, literally smack bang in between of Leicester and Nottingham. So I actually work for the NHS and the infant feeding team in Nottingham, but I live in Leicestershire and do a lot of my sort of private work in Leicestershire um so yeah infant feeding support worker I'm a breastfeeding counsellor as well um I tend to go on the national breastfeeding helpline quite a lot so if you end up phoning there at some point you'll probably get me at some point or another um and I also volunteer for our local breastfeeding group and our local maternity voices partnership as well so I feel like there's a lot of stuff that I'm doing at the moment oh and also a mum of two that's an important part as well isn't it <laughs> excellent you sound really really busy yeah I feel like there's a lot going on at the moment working part-time in the NHS doing my private business you know having children is just a job in itself isn't it it's just yeah. constant and it's it's great fun because my husband's a chef so he's very rarely home I'm always doing dinner bath and bedtime all by myself and I'm just sort of running around like a headless chicken I think at the moment and juggling a lot of plates <laughs> perfect sounds good Having a chef as a husband, that must be nice. It's quite nice. And actually, last night I made a really nice chilli and um, he messaged me. I was upstairs in bed anyway because he got home really late and he messaged me and said, this chilli is really, really delicious. And I was like, that's a compliment in itself coming from a chef. I'm like, I know when he says the dinner's nice, it's a nice dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Um, right. So today you're going to talk to us a little bit about preparing for a positive breastfeeding journey. Um, and so to start off, would you just tell us sort of what do you think are the main obstacles, the main kind of challenges facing women today when they are sort of preparing for their positive breastfeeding journey? Why are people like you necessary? Yeah, I think there's so many things that could be a barrier and could be impacting having a positive uh, breastfeeding experience. But I think one of the main things is society and our expectations of babies and feeding and the fact that as a society, especially, you know, in the UK, we don't have a very breastfeeding culture. We are very much a formula feeding 
bottle feeding culture so we don't see it very often so when it does come around to us having our babies it seems like we just don't know much about it because it's not something that we've seen really we haven't spoken about it often we've not seen our you know aunts uncles uncles jesus not you know we've seen various people throughout our childhood and stuff it's just not something that is seen anymore so I think as a society that's kind of the main thing and the fact that we just don't understand what normal breastfeeding or normal baby behavior is we kind of have this expectation of a baby should feed then they should sleep in their cot for three to four hours and then they should wake up have another feed and that should be how feeding goes when actually in reality that isn't how it happens and I think we've just lost sight of what normal baby behavior is in terms of especially breastfeeding to enable us to have that confidence I feel like one of the biggest problems with feeding comes from that actually everything is going great with feeding you know the baby is feeding beautifully having lots of wet and dirty nappies everything's going great but they're doubting themselves so much because their baby is not doing that scheduled three to four hourly feed then settling in their cot so I think yeah so as a very long answer to your question I think society is the reason why it's it's so hard to have that positive breastfeeding experience especially at the start I think once you've got into it and you have that knowledge it does it does become easier and it does become positive and you have that confidence but especially at the start unless you've been surrounded by breastfeeding throughout your childhood throughout your adult life it's very difficult to just go into it with that kind of expectation yeah and I think this um this starts off like from day one from when you're a little girl and you get given a doll for Christmas every single doll comes with a bottle so so your first experience of being like nurturing and maternal is through feeding this baby a bottle isn't it yeah it is literally so it's it's become that norm that if you have a baby you bottle feed them and I've you know spoken to women and mums in the past where they've literally said to me I didn't even know that breastfeeding was an option like literally didn't know that it was an option because all they've seen is bottle feeding so it's absolute this is what I mean about society it being fully about formula feeding and you know that's not a judgment on formula feeding people choose that if they want to but I think we are very much aware that a lot of people do want to breastfeed. About 80 to 85% of people go into their birth planning on breastfeeding and starting breastfeeding at birth. But by six weeks, that has gone down to about a quarter of people doing some form of breastfeeding. That's not fully breastfeeding. That will probably, Most of those will be a combination of formula and breastfeeding. And a lot of those people, I think about... 80% of those people that have stopped by that point, they've done so before they were ready to. So a lot of people are wanting to, but then because of, you know, the thought process of not understanding that normal baby behaviour, a lot of people have stopped before they actually wanted to. 80%, that is an absolutely mm. crazy figure. Absolutely crazy figure, isn't it? Oh yeah, so many stop before they want to. And that just breaks my heart, I think, because... I want everyone to have the feeding experience that they want to. You know, I'm not out here, same with birth, I'm not out here to get people to have a home birth. I'm not out here with breastfeeding, wanting everyone to feed until two years old or beyond and 
having a self-weaning journey, everyone's feeding experiences is very different. And some people, their idea of breastfeeding will be, I want to feed for three months. And that's it. I want to stop at three months. And that's their journey finished. And they are happy with that. What I don't want is for people to be saying, yeah, I really want to feed until one year, getting to three weeks and going, I don't actually want to stop now, but something just isn't feeling like it's going well and I've not got the support, so I'm just going to stop. And then they're feeling guilt, regrets and grief and trauma. You know, you can absolutely get that from stopping breastfeeding. So I want people to have the journey that is actually right for them, not that's right for anyone else. It needs to be a journey that is actually yours and yours alone. And I am there to support everyone in supporting them to reach their breastfeeding goals, whatever they will be. That could be a week. It could be three months. It could be six months. It could be a year, four years. I don't care what what that goal is. I just want to help you to reach it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a, a point that I just thought of as well is uh, with regards to society we're being supported now by an older generation of women that were given really incorrect advice by their healthcare professionals. Mm-hmm. And that then gets passed down to us. And we think that there yes. is something wrong with us or with our babies when actually they were just really, really misinformed. Yeah, absolutely. And it was at the point where formula was very much sort of pushed upon new parents because they were told there's this new brand new formula milk for babies that because it's man-made it's exactly what your baby needs and it's better than breast milk you know there weren't any sort of laws and regulations around the marketing for formulas at that point so they were literally just told there's this milk that's amazing you have to have it it's the thing that you do now you don't breastfeed anymore this is this man-made amazing milk so they were told this so then they believed it so we went through a point like you said with that generation breastfeeding just wasn't a thing and they were given all this information about feeding that isn't isn't right now and that is still getting passed along and passed along so it's really hard we're kind of like playing catch up a little bit at the moment trying to actually overcome those incorrect you know information and advice that people were given and trying to push back on it you know about responsive feeding and about cluster feeding and about the actual composition of breast milk and stuff how it isn't the same thing as formula you know we can't we can never get formula the same as as breast milk it's just not possible because breast milk is a living a living thing so it's it's never going to be able to be the same sort of thing so we're sort of really trying hard now to to try to speak about the actual you know the genuine facts about it the actual evidence behind it and science (laughs) I can remember I saw an episode of um, Call the Midwife. I think it was last season. And Trixie was giving advice to some new mums saying, you all need to get your baby on a four hourly feeding cycle. And then a woman came with mastitis and she told the woman to stop feeding and bind her breath with mastitis. And I was literally like shouting at the the telly. (laughs) And I was like, I understand this is like set in the in the 60s or whatever. Yeah. But there are going to be some people who don't make that connection. They won't think this is out of date advice. And they'll take that as gospel. And that was really, really painful for me to to watch that, that, you know, so many people are going to take that information Mm. in. Yeah. And that's the thing. I know it seems like us saying that is, oh, it won't be that stupid or silly to actually you know think that that's real but 
it's not about being stupid. It's just about that message coming out. And you've heard it so many times before, like from your mum, from your grandma, that actually just hearing it again on the telly, you just, it's just more and more ingraining that four hourly message into your brain it's just that constant reminder of it yeah particularly since Trixie although she's an actress playing a character she sat there on your screen in a nurse's outfit that's a a figure of authority that you're naturally subconsciously going to take that message in as a a, you know a real thing yeah absolutely and I I heard about this I didn't watch it myself but I heard loads of people talking about it and I was like there should almost be like a caveat at the start of every kind of period drama with anything that just goes a reminder that this happened many years ago and we now know that there's differences with advice and various different things you know things do change in medicine and stuff so I think literally just in every period drama not just the episodes that are about breastfeeding but the ones about anything literally just a caveat at the beginning of a reminder that this is from a long time ago don't panic about the advice please do contact your doctor contact someone to get up-to-date information if you're worried because a lot of what is going to be coming up is going to be outdated yeah and I think there's also an element as well of the older generation kind of feeling like they somehow did it wrong like we're we're shaming them because they did it wrong and it's so important to note that when that's not your fault you did the best with the information that you were given at the time but it's always a case of no better do better you know yeah we're constantly learning when it comes to being like literally constantly there are things that were happening with my first who was born six years ago that now with my second that was born a year ago are different because we have learned we've done more research and we're understanding more and more things and it's just about knowing that yeah things are going to change constantly because we're doing more and more research and that's absolutely fine it's okay to just go back and go okay well I did the best that I could with the information with the knowledge with the research that we had now things are changing a little bit so I'm just gonna up to date on that as well and it's okay to know that it's not someone doing anything wrong yeah yeah and a really good example of that is with my first with when I had a blocked duct I was told to like use an electric toothbrush or a vibrator to unblock it but with Annabelle, they were told, oh, no, don't do that. No, that that's going to cause more damage. And I was like, really? Yeah. Has that really changed in like three years? But no, it, it does. It changes mm. that quickly. Yeah. And it's one of those things that like, we've discovered that what mastitis and blocked ducts are is that we used to think it was literally the duct that was blocked. So we're trying to really need it to get the duct moving, to get the milk moving in that duct. But what it actually is, is that it's the breast tissue that is inflamed, squishing, the the duct so almost like you know when you've got your hose out filling the swimming pool and you just you hold it in between your hands it's literally the outside area that is pushing the duct a little bit shut so if we're going ahead with an electric toothbrush and needing it it's going to become more aggravated and more inflamed so now we've discovered that actually cold is better to help with um with just reducing that inflammation so it's that that is such a simple way of knowing that things change quite dramatically like it's literally the opposite yeah. of what we used to we used to say heat now we say cold so but it's it's knowing that we've done that research and that's why things have changed with it yeah and also making sure that you get an advice from professionals that are keeping up to date with that research like yeah. I, I, with all these things make sure that the people you get an advice from are constantly getting up-to-date advice yeah and what I would say about that is that 
sometimes your midwife, your health visitor, your GP may not be the best place to get support from because they, you know, they're brilliant in their own ways, but they don't have really specialised, you know, qualifications and knowledge on breastfeeding. And it is about finding those people that do have the additional knowledge because some some midwives and health visitors will go out of their way to learn a bit more and some GPs will as well. But the majority of the time, it's it's just kind of the baseline and that won't be updated quite as often as we would ideally like it to be. So just be, I think that's a good thing to be cautious about is that actually, you know, you think, oh, well, my midwife is coming around today. They may not be the best person and it may be actually reaching out to find other specialist support whether that is your local breastfeeding group whether that is the national breastfeeding helpline whether that is an ibclc a breastfeeding counselor around your area it's maybe just trying to outsource those people as well as that and i think it's maybe looking into those people before you actually have your baby you know not just panicking before you know after you've had your baby and things are going wrong you're like oh the midwife's not being much of a help I don't know what to do and then you're trying to frantically find someone to support you it's not the best time to find that support but actually looking into it before you give birth saying okay where's my local breastfeeding support group who is someone that I can message where are the lactation consultants and what's the national breastfeeding helpline let me save it in my phone so that I've got it ready things like that beforehand can be make a massive difference because it means that at the first sign of things being a little bit difficult you can straight away speak to them and get that support rather than you waiting until you're in a crisis point which so many people do wait until they're literally in that crisis point and then it's so much harder to get back up you know just at the first sign of things are really difficult at the moment let me just speak to the breastfeeding counsellor and I'll see what's what's happening and what support I can get it makes a massive difference yeah and a great phrase to remember there is when you're drowning is not the time for a swimming lesson you know yeah. don't, don't wait until you are literally at 2am crying and your nipples are sore and the baby won't stop crying um, make sure you make those contacts join those groups ahead of time um something yeah. in, in my local area we had a local breastfeeding support group um a facebook group that was run by local peer supporters and the, yeah. the local feeding team and so when i had my block duct at 2am with wilfred and i was in tears and i was in pain i could i put you know a, a a message out on this Facebook group and I was like can anyone help me what do I do I had a message instantly from another mum that was also up breastfeeding her baby um and yeah so you make those connections ahead of time and it makes such a difference oh definitely and those groups can be so helpful because it doesn't mean that you have to speak to someone face to face we've got the same in our area of Facebook group and you can post and it's private no one else will see it just the people that are in the group and there's always going to be someone that yeah. is able to respond almost instantly because there's either someone that's going to be awake with their breastfeeding child there is going to be someone that's awake for some other reason pregnancy insomnia or something there's always yeah. going to be someone that's up and ready to help you and when it comes to breastfeeding and peer support so other breastfeeding parents that haven't got any qualifications honestly the, just the cheerleading can make a massive difference as well it doesn't have to be someone that's actually qualified it can literally be a case of oh my goodness, my baby's been cluster feeding for four hours. I'm absolutely shattered. I just don't know if I can do this anymore. And you get five, six, seven mums going, I've been where you are. It gets better, I promise you. Oh God, it's really hard, isn't it? Solidarity. And you just get that and you're like, oh, 
not just me it's not something that's wrong with me and it's not you know my baby other people have gone through this and it will end as well and that makes me feel so much better that actual peer-to-peer support is just so invaluable so just find I think the key thing is finding your tribe so finding those groups finding people to talk to that are going to be on the same wavelength as you yeah and sometimes it this is why breastfeeding groups are so important because sometimes you can go to other baby groups and be chatting about you know all oh, my babies you know waking this many times at night and you might get another parent that hasn't breastfed just going oh we'll just get them bottles and you know they'll sleep better and stuff like that and it's not the most helpful thing in that moment whereas actually in the breastfeeding groups you'll have other people that have been through it and they'll know what you want out of it and they'll just they'll give you that support of yeah I know it's hard um I've been where you are and all that rather than trying to tell you to stop breastfeeding because breastfeeding is almost seen as this like scapegoat with so many things you know your baby's not sleeping because of uh, your breastfeeding your baby is clingy it's because you are breastfeeding your baby has reflux because you are breastfeeding all these things it's just constant whereas actually a lot of the time it's not because you are breastfeeding there is very 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 rarely I can't think of a problem off the top of my head where actually it is because of breastfeeding you know there's something else going on yeah, and actually it can be incredibly isolating if you're in a community where you are the only, a family or whatever, where you are the only person that's breastfed or a group of friends, you become almost like scared to voice any problems because you know you'll immediately be met with, oh, well, just give them a bottle. Oh, just stop breastfeeding. Um, yeah. Whereas if you are in a breastfeeding family, a breastfeeding group of friends, breastfeeding community, then you know that you can just vent, you can just moan because, you know, mm-hmm. It is hard, you know, cluster feeding for four hours. Sometimes I just want to moan. I just want yes. to say, I just want to say, do you know what? I'm tired and I'm touched out without someone mm. saying, well, just give them a bottle. Yeah. You don't want to fix. You don't want something to fix it. You just want to say, this is bloody hard. Yeah. And someone to say, yeah, it is. That's okay. It is really hard and you're doing amazing. But yeah, it's hard. You just want that. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes when it comes to like family and friends as well, and your partner, if you have a partner, is actually finding out before you have a baby, what are their thoughts on breastfeeding? You know, it's because that will make a massive difference because you're going to be with them so often. You know, your mum might come around to the house quite often. Your partner's going to be there very, very frequently. So it's actually finding out well, what are your thoughts? What were your experiences on breastfeeding? What do you feel about it? And putting out what you want to do. Look, my boundaries are I really, really want to breastfeed. I just want some support. I don't want to be told to stop. I want some support. If I'm struggling, please can you remind me of the local breastfeeding support group? Please can you remind me that, you know, I'm doing amazing. Please can you just be there to support me? And putting those boundaries in in place before you have your baby, I think are so, so, so vital because afterwards it can be so emotional. Your hormones are all over the place anyway. You're going to be probably a little bit at least sleep deprived because you started waking up quite frequently with a baby and becoming a new parent is really hard as well just emotionally so it can be so much harder when actually after you have your baby and someone does go to you you know your mum comes over and you're like oh gosh it's really hard and exhausting they go oh let me give them a bottle come on it'll be absolutely fine and that's not what you want that just becomes more emotional 
yeah so what you, you actually want that, like what that. you want that person to do yeah. is to go and push the hoover around or do the laundry yes. or do the washing up i don't want you to you know fix anything about breastfeeding because nothing's broken it's just yeah. what it is you know yeah or just give me a hug and give me a cup of tea and tell me i'm doing an awesome job with feeding that's all i want but getting that out of the way before you have your baby is going to be so much easier to have that conversation first before all everything goes to whack compared to afterwards and afterwards it means you can just remind them and you can just go look remember what we spoke about with breastfeeding before i had baby can you just remember that conversation and you don't have to actually repeat yourself then because if you've had that conversation they will remember if you just tell them look remember what we spoke about they'll go oh yeah okay no problem you don't have to actually say the words yeah yeah and I think another really important point to make on that is I've had clients who they've had parents mother-in-laws whatever that have bought the formula just in case you know bought Mm -hmm. the little pre-made bottles of formula just in case and if you have those little bottles of formula just in case and you're more likely to use them whereas if you really really are adamant that you know what you want your breastfeeding journey to work don't have the just in case formula yeah don't have them just in case because not only is it much easier to turn to them when things are a little bit hard it just puts that doubt in your mind straight away it's going immediately I'm going to get these just in case you're already telling yourself that actually you're probably going to need them and your body's probably not going to be able to do it whereas if you tell yourself I'm not going to need formula my body is going to be able to do it it's again it's those positive positive affirmations that we talk about so much in hypnobirthing we talk about them constantly and how they are really really powerful if you're telling yourself that you need these formula bottles just in case you're telling yourself that you're not going to be able to breastfeed probably and you start to believe that whereas if you tell yourself that your body is going to be able to do it and you will breastfeed you you'll start to you know believe that as well the body is and the mind is such a powerful thing and you know don't discount it and honestly those newborn formula bottles i've got a bit of a bit of beef with those actually because they are 70 mils those newborn ones a baby's tummy size on day one can handle about five to seven mils of milk that's about a teaspoon so why on earth do we have formula bottles that probably wouldn't suit until a baby is about two weeks old why do we have them for a newborn because it means that again when you're in the hospital or after birth and you're sort of going oh feeling's not going very well I might need to give a bit extra and you think you know they may the midwives might support you with let's do some hand expressing come on and you literally get like a, a few drops out in a teaspoon worth and then they go okay well we might need to give a little bit of formula as well here let me get you one of the bottles and it's 70 mils and you look at your teaspoon worth of colostrum compared to this 70 mil bottle and you go well I'm definitely not making that much you again you put doubt in your body and actually 70 mils these bottles should be much much smaller 70 mils is far far too big it is so misleading and when you think about like the the little syringes that you collect if you're colostrum harvesting beforehand they're one mil they are they're one one mil each you know you don't need 70 mils for a newborn ever no and that's that's something that really frustrates me because again it's just something that puts doubt in people and their bodies that oh my god well the formula bottles are that big I'm definitely not making that amount and actually that's good you shouldn't be making that amount on day one or two or three no you'd be engorged (laughs) you'd be in a lot of pain yeah 
you should not be making that amount of milk. That would be far, far too much for a baby. But the problem is they've got these with the little teats on top and they you say, you know, if they don't finish it, they need to throw it away. So then you're trying to probably push your baby to have this 70 mils when actually they don't need it. And then we're stretching their tummies and then they don't want any breast milk. And at so the same time, just... you're also telling your boobs not to produce that milk. Yeah. And that's exactly the thing. I think people really need to understand how breast milk production works to be able to have a positive breastfeeding experience, because if they don't understand that process, they don't, they're not able to make that milk and then they're worrying about their milk supply. So literally the way it works on milk supplies, milk removal, the more that your baby feeds, or if you are pumping, the more that you are pumping, the more milk you'll make. So a baby foster feeds by coming often on the breast really frequently for normally like a few hours at a time. They do that to increase your milk production. It doesn't mean that they're starving and they're hungry and, you know, they're not getting the milk at that point in time. They're literally doing that because then it prepares your body to create more milk. It's like they say that it's putting in the order for the next day because they are doing that feeding. It's like your breasts are like um, factories, not warehouses. So the breast milk is never empty. But what happens is if you are kind of keeping that baby up the breast and they're constantly feeding, it's giving your body a message that, hang on, guys, we need a bit more milk here because the baby is feeding a bit more. So we need to increase your milk supply. So it starts that process of increasing milk production straight away. And a lot of people will notice that cluster feeding and a baby feeding frequently as actually my baby's hungry, my milk isn't enough. Whereas actually it's really normal newborn behavior. It is actually perfect for increasing your milk supply. And if you do want to increase milk supply, having them at the breast as often as possible is the best way for it. Now I've spoken to lots of people in the past where they've kind of like, well, I'm just giving some formula just while my milk supply increases, but they're not actually expressing, they're not putting the baby to the breast anymore. I'm like, well, that milk supply is not going to increase by itself. It is on demand and supply and I say it that way rather than supply and demand because it is the baby demands it first and then the supply is made afterwards so you really you need to have that baby at the breast as often as they want to and that could be very very frequently that could be cluster feeding quite a lot but that's good you know that's really really positive that's increasing your milk production and the first two weeks are really key to your milk production if you can get that baby feeding as often as they need in that first two weeks, your milk production is going to be right up there very, very quickly. If you miss out on those first two weeks, it can be a little bit harder to get that milk supply up after that. So it's literally just my biggest suggestion for everyone if they're planning on breastfeeding or anyone just full stop actually um, after a baby is just to spend those first two weeks at home in skin to skin contact, letting your baby feed as frequently as they want. Just tell visitors that now's not the time to come around, you know, unless they're going to help you in terms of, you know, cooking, cleaning, doing things around the house, then they shouldn't be coming around. And you should have that first two weeks with your baby, letting them have unlimited access to the breast to give you a really good boost and start with breastfeeding. And I've got my own personal experience on this. Like first time, I didn't know anything about feeding. I didn't understand cluster feeding. I didn't know literally nothing, absolutely nothing. And I kind of like would subconsciously push her to go a little bit further than, you know, 
what she wanted to. I was like, oh, you can't be needing a feed already and all this sort of thing. Um, and she ended up losing 9% of her birth weight. Luckily, we didn't get told to like um, top up or anything like that. And she did increase her, her weight. But second time around, we literally just resided to the bed. Straight away, as soon as he was born, we just went to bed. And that is where I stayed for the first two weeks in our pyjamas all the time. And he only lost 2% of his birth weight. So a huge, huge difference by just me letting him feed at the breast. And it does make a big difference. If you can just get that at the start and let them feed as frequently as possible, it means that the weight loss is going to be less, which means there's less worry and less pressure to get that weight up again. If you get a big weight loss, they might start suggesting, oh, well, you need to top up. You need to go on a strict feeding schedule and stuff. And that can just throw things off a little bit. Whereas if you can avoid that in the first place by just letting them feed as often as they want, it just it boosts things for the future. And you kind of reap the benefits of it a little bit earlier because it means that your baby has established your milk supply much quicker. So it means that you're able to just sit back and relax after a while because they've done it. They're not fighting against it. They're not keeping trying to increase your milk production because you're actually trying to go, well, no, you only fed, you know, half an hour ago. You can't need another feed now. You're just letting them. So then they're really happy a lot quicker because they've established your milk supply. And they're like, yeah, I've done my job. I've done my part. I can just chill now. And it becomes just much easier to just let them do it in those early weeks. Yeah, I've rambled loads then. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> Sorry. Fine. I think I'll just add as well, is that if something feels unnatural, like if you feel like you're having to force your child to go longer between feeds, and that's probably not yeah. natural. Like you yeah. and your baby in those early weeks and months, you were both running on pure instinct, pure intuition. And if your baby is wanting to do something, if your body's telling you to do something, then chances are you should do it. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. Listen to that instinct. I think it's really, really powerful. And I think it's where that instinct comes naturally that we want our babies close. We want to feed them frequently. They don't want to go down and we want to actually hold them a lot of the time. But we've been told by society that that's not what should be happening. And we're kind of listening to that. It's that niggling thing there. We're actually we're sitting there. We're holding our baby. It's society that's telling us to put them down. We don't want to. Instinctively, we want to actually hold them. That is literally <clears throat> everything that it is. You want to hold your baby all the time. It's natural. It's that hormone release that's there. So listen to that rather than societal pressure in terms of how to get through those early weeks. Yeah, and it's really important to note, don't ever feel pressured into passing your baby around like a pass the parcel. You know, you'll if you choose to accept visitors in those first few weeks, then you might get people saying, oh, can I have a quick snuggle? Mm -hmm. You know, and you might find there's a, a bit of pressure, pressure where they'll say, oh, actually, you're, you're being selfish. Don't hog the yeah. baby. And you are not being selfish. This baby is not a baby. Toy. It's not a puppy. This baby yeah. is your child. It's a human being <laughs> developing bonds and emotions. So don't ever feel guilty. Don't feel mm -hmm. pressured or gaslit into passing your baby around like a pass the parcel. Yeah, that is the boundary that I had very much strict in place second time around. First time she was passed around on day six constantly. That probably didn't help her weight loss as well. Um, <clears throat> but second time, I was just like, no, he's my baby. Yeah, I let my husband hold him and <laughs> my parents on Christmas Day because we went around their house for Christmas because born a week before Christmas. And anytime I needed a wee or 
have a shower, things like that. I was like, can you just hold him very quickly? And then as soon as I came back, I was like, he's mine again. Thank you very much. Like he needed me and I didn't want to pass him around. And I felt pressured to first time. So second time I was just like, no, I am having very strict boundaries in place. This is what I need for me and my baby. And I'm going to do it. And I don't care if that upsets anyone. That's their problem, not mine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and there's no such thing as making a rod for your own back or making bad habits, anything like that. If anyone says that to you, do you know what? Kick them out of your house. (laughs) It's total bullshit. Yeah. It is honestly complete bullshit. That rod for their back is a rod of independence for their life. We know that keeping your baby close and holding them frequently and responding to them creates them to be a more independent child, a more confident child, a more independent adult, and a more confident adult. Because do you know what? They know that we are there when they need them. So it's not it's not a case of, oh, they know you're going to come. Well, yeah, that's good. They know that we're always going to be there when needed. So it means that actually they're more confident. And we've got so much research about that. Yeah, absolutely. It's that trust, isn't it? It's building up that mm. trust. It's them knowing that you'll always be there. Whereas if they're constantly in that kind of mode of, of doubt, like, is mum coming to me this time? And yeah. Like, Am I safe? Then that does create issues. Yeah. Like my one-year-old, we've co-slept from day one this time. And when he wakes up and I'm maybe downstairs just getting a few things done or watching the telly, he doesn't cry out. He literally just sits up in bed and kind of goes, mama because he knows that I'm going to be there he doesn't cry out because actually I'm always going to be coming for him so he doesn't panic and it's it just kind of shows it there he's actually very chilled and very relaxed because he knows that I'm always going to be there for him yeah yeah absolutely um so you had a list of notes that you made (laughs) and we've kind of talked about all kinds of topics so I don't know where we are on your list (laughs) like so if you'd like to maybe carry on with your uh, <laughs> with your list of notes. Yeah, there weren't very many things on there that were additionally, because we've kind of covered quite a lot of stuff. The like my biggest top tips for getting a positive breastfeeding experience is literally kind of it, it goes down to three points for me. And one is researching normal baby behavior, which we've spoken about in detail, you know, knowing actually what is normal for a baby. That is where so many worries come from. You know, I speak to parent after parent worrying that my baby's not getting enough milk because they won't go down in their cot. And actually, it's just that they're a normal baby. It's nothing to do with breastfeeding. It's just that they are a baby. You know, they have a survival instinct to need to be close. It is literally all about survival. So researching normal baby behaviour. Oh, and um, a good one, sorry, just to add on to that, is research and know when the major growth spurts and leaps are coming yes. up. Because you find, you know, you'll get to maybe like 11 weeks and you'll think, yeah, we've got a routine. Yeah. Maybe that's what we're doing. <laughs> and then suddenly that sleep regression hits and you're yeah. like, oh my God, what is happening? Am I losing my supply? Like what is happening? Yeah. Kind of knowing what happens almost in that first year that it isn't a linear experience. It is literally, it's up, down, up, down, up, down. It's constantly evolving and changing. So know that actually when you get to eight weeks and they are sleeping better, it's not always going to be like that probably it's going to go up and down. And that's also very, very normal as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, And in that, knowing that as well, to expect what we like to call second night syndrome, a baby on night one, 
they're very tired from birth. They pretty much sleep and you go, oh my goodness, I've got such a good, in quotation marks, baby. They're sleeping so well. This is really easy. And then on night two, they wake, they cluster feed, they cry, they're unsettled. They shout at the breast when you're trying to latch them on. And you just go, what on earth has happened? This is really, really hard. This isn't like it was last night. Knowing to expect that makes things a ton easier because it means that you can maybe get that sleep in during that second day in preparation for the night and just being prepared and knowing that, okay, this might happen and that's okay. It's normal. It's not a problem and it won't last either. I know it feels like in the moment, this is your life forever, but it won't be. But second night syndrome, really just know to expect that. Um, So researching normal behaviour, tip number one. Tip number two is knowing how milk production works. Because if you understand that, you understand that that cluster feeding is normal behaviour as well. And that's all working towards your milk production as well. And then number three is knowing the signs of that you're actually making enough milk and that your baby is getting enough milk. Because again, if you can look at that normal baby behavior and the baby's cluster feeding and you're panicking, you go, oh God, do I have enough milk? If you know the signs of they're getting enough wet and dirty nappies, they are sucking and swallowing regularly. And depending on the point of time, how old a baby is, you know, weight loss, weight gain, that gives you a really good idea of actually that you do have enough milk and that gives you that reassurance. And also knowing that pumping is not an indication of your milk supply. I hear so many people saying, well, I I was worried about my milk supply, so I decided to pump and I only got 10 mils, so that must be all that my baby is getting, so I don't have enough milk. A babe, you know, when you try to pump, it is not the same as a baby feeding. They are, babies are much more effective at removing the milk. So if you're pumping, it literally means nothing in terms of your milk supply. It's good to help encourage your milk production if you aren't feeding at the breast but it doesn't mean anything to do with your milk supply or baby's milk intake and the same as a baby being unsettled or feeding frequently that doesn't indicate milk intake so actually knowing what are the signs so basically nappy output is the key one that you can keep a track of really really easily in terms of your baby getting enough milk and you can use that as reassurance because a lot of people stop breastfeeding early due to perceived low milk supply not true low milk supply perceived they think that they haven't been making enough milk whereas actually the likelihood is that they have but they just haven't been given the tools to know if they were making the right amount of milk so those are kind of like my three top tips in preparing to breastfeed positively because it just gives you the knowledge and the information and the confidence as well it's not just a health professional saying oh yeah, breastfeeding looks like it's going well. It's giving you the tools as the breastfeeding parent to kind of look at it yourself and go, what are the things that means it's going well? And giving you the confidence to go through breastfeeding yourself rather than sort of relying on a healthcare professional. If you can trust yourself and trust your body, honestly, it does wonders for your breastfeeding journey. It really makes a massive difference. And I think my final tip for for feeding is literally just I'm going to end it all the time and I talk about it constantly but it's skin to skin get skin to skin all the time and when I say skin to skin I don't just mean a quick 10 minutes here and there I literally mean staying skin to skin for like the whole day people always get very shocked when I sort of suggest get some skin to skin and they say oh when should I do it and I go as soon as you wake up to before you go to bed 
literally that whole day. And they're like, really? That long? I'm like, yes, that long. Skin to skin is not just a nice thing to do. It is treatment. It is therapy. It is medicine. Do it all the time. And if you've ever got a problem with breastfeeding, skin to skin is going to be helpful. Like, you know, baby's not latching, skin to skin. Baby's struggling to gain weight, skin to skin. Yes, it's not going to do everything, but I'm telling you, it really does help. And just doing it as often as possible. Don't just do it straight after birth. Do it constantly. It makes the world of difference when it comes to it. And just, and that's a really good way of keeping visitors away as well. Because if they're not comfortable with, with coming to your house and seeing you in skin to skin contact with your baby, they're probably not the right people to be there. And if they are comfortable with it, they're probably going to be the people that you actually want there to support you. You know, your partner, your best friend that you're really, really close to, maybe your sister, your mum. If they're all people that are comfortable and you're happy with seeing you naked with your baby in skin to skin contact, they're probably the ones that are going to be the most supportive and most helpful in those early weeks in your journey. Yeah, absolutely. And that is that's your house. That's your safe space. And if someone is coming into your house and telling you to cover up or they don't want to see your breasts or anything like that, then they they do not belong in your inner circle. No. And that's that's something that I firmly believe as well. If you're inviting people to your house and you're going to be breastfeeding, but they're not comfortable (coughs) with seeing it or you're not comfortable breastfeeding in front of them. Are they the best people to be there in that moment? And it's okay to decline people coming you don't have to be polite and go oh no they really want to come and they want to see us I know they're being really nice you don't have to do that as Brits we tend to do that quite a lot (laughs) but put yourself first because you're only going to go through this you know the early weeks once even if you have more babies that's still going to only happen once with that baby so you can be selfish at these times you can think about yourself and think about your baby and do what is right for you and for them not what's right for everyone else around you absolutely and um i have just like a couple more points to make of some of the things we talked about earlier one mm-hmm. is you touched on pumping and they're on social media we see these images of like full freezer stashes and stuff like that right and i just really want to iterate yeah. that there is if you're not leaving your baby with anyone there's no need to pump you do not have to have a full freezer um, and I think mm-hmm. it can get a little bit misconstrued because we see a lot of American ladies where they they have to go back to work yeah. at six weeks. Whereas in the UK, we're very, very fortunate to have you know maternity leave up until a, a year and, and beyond in a lot of cases. So if you don't have to pump, you, you don't have to pump. Like Don't feel like you have to be pumping um, because in those yeah. first six weeks, actually, if you're pumping, you're telling, you know, talk about supply and demand or demand and supply you're telling your boobs that you've got twins or that your your baby's yeah. hungry. And so it's going to start producing loads more milk, which your baby doesn't necessarily actually need. And that can cause engorgement and, and mastitis. And that's a really important thing to notice, actually, that a lot of these people that do have these freezer stashes, they probably have a massive, massive oversupply. And that's not necessarily a good thing. Like you said, it puts you at greater risk of engorgement and mastitis. It's not helpful. And actually, it's not a normal milk supply. That's not normal. That's quite abnormal when it comes to having a massive freezer stash. You know, if people are pumping on top of um, breastfeeding, what is normal is literally maybe getting 10 to 15 mils of milk. Totally normal. That's not a bad thing. But because we've seen so many people have these massive freezer stashes, you go, oh, my God, 10 to 15 mil. That's nothing. I've got no milk. Oh, my God, I'm panicking. 
Whereas actually that's totally normal. It's really, really normal. And I think, again, it's in that society that we need to pump and we need to pump to be able to help other people with bottle feeding and the bond that people get from bottle feeding. And I always kind of prompt people when it comes to, you must use a bottle to bond with your baby. Have, did, have you ever fed your husband or your best friend? Do you no, have a bond oh with God. them? Yeah, I don't know if you saw, my eyes went really wide then. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I, I hear this so much. They're like, oh, I want to pump so that dad can bond with the baby. I'm yeah. like, breastfeeding is literally the only thing mm. that dad can't do. Okay. Dad can have skin There's to skin. A million things. Skin to skin can be done by dad. Dad can yeah. do baths. Dad can do baby wearing. Dad can change nappies. Dad can do, you know, um, sensory things. Like breastfeeding is literally the only thing mm. that, that, that your partner can't do. So yeah. if you don't want to pump, if you're finding it stressful, don't push yourself to do that just yeah. so the partner can bond with baby. You know, yeah. that's not necessary. They do not need it. No. And I did an Instagram post a little while ago of sort of, you know, saying, oh, they, they must have a bottle to be able to bond with their dad. And then I put on loads of photos of my, at the moment, my son, so my youngest, with dad having loads of fun and smiling and giving kisses. And I was like, yeah totally ruined their bond completely you're right I should have should have given him a bottle so that he could bond with him he's never once had a bottle and dad is much more the preferred person than me oh, he, well, yeah. he, we, if we both go to pick him up from nursery he'll go to to dad he won't come to me for a cuddle he'll go straight to dad he prefers him <laughs> so yeah it's the same with not need a is, bottle. yeah my youngest she is such a daddy's girl oh my <laughs> god right she'll literally like come over to me demand boob like she won't yeah. smile or anything she'll demand boob <clears throat> and then go off like giggling and smiling after daddy for playtime you know like yeah. I'm literally just the milk machine <laughs> literally that's how it is now isn't it yeah. and yeah I just think you do not need to do bottles and sometimes if you're feeling that pressure it can be so much harder to pump on top and then you've got to wash and then you're working on really making sure that you don't miss that feed when they do give that bottle because if you miss that feed, that's going to be lowering your milk supply. And sometimes it's just more hassle than it's worth. And like you said, they can do so much more. They can have that skin to skin contact and you don't need to pump for people to have a bond with them. Because I can be sure that I've never fed my husband and I have a lovely bond with him. So I'm not quite sure where this feeding to bond has uh, has come from. No, exactly, exactly. And uh, you, you don't get any extra rest. You don't get any extra sleep. No from someone else bottle feeding your baby either like because you still have to as you say you still have to pump um you still have to be awake for that time so yeah yeah it's sometimes much more helpful if someone else can get up in the morning when your baby has woken up for the day and take them for like an hour or two and you can stay in bed and get a little bit of extra rest that's yeah. what I find is the easiest thing for me if I've had a bit of a rough night and I'll just say to my husband look can you get up with him I'm shattered I just need to have an, a little bit of extra sleep. And sometimes it's literally only half an hour and I actually feel ready for the day after that. Yeah. But it's not yeah. much. Yeah. Um, and there was one more thing that I had a point to make on. Oh, I, I, I remember. Right. Um, something that took me by surprise was on you know, somewhere between day three and day five, when your colostrum starts to transition to mature milk and you just burst into tears for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. You get a real like rush of hormones and mm. you just it's it's very up and down and you, you know you, you don't know what it is 
but I'm just mm. warning you guys, you know, yeah. when that happens, it's very, very normal. The hormones are all over the place and you'll just burst into tears or get angry at random things. And that's very, very normal. Yeah, just go with it. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely normal. I think that is definitely something that surprises a lot of people when it comes to not even just feeding, just the postnatal period. And suddenly they're just like, I'm just crying my eyes out all the time. And I'm not quite sure why. And it's normally just for that one day. And then you're fine the next day. It's just because those hormones literally almost do a complete flip. Like the total opposite of what you've been used to for the last nine, 10 months. So it's normal for it to just kind of throw you a little bit. And I definitely, again, this is just more instilling into staying at home, staying in that skin to skin contact, because that helps, you know, the last thing you want to be doing on that day three, four, five, whichever day it happens on is to be out and about. And suddenly you're in the supermarket and you just cry. That's, that's not what you want. You want to be at home. You want to be in a safe place where you can just let it all out and eat a ton of chocolate at that time to make you feel a little bit better. Exactly. And yeah, don't don't get out and about. I think that is literally the biggest takeaway is just staying at home for as long as you possibly can because it does help. And I've been there from experience, one where I got out and about as quick as possible and the second where I just I just did not want to. We went out for on day six to register him and we were out for an hour. And by the end, I was crying in the car. Like, I, I want to get home. I want to get home. And we got home. Both of us got into our pajamas and we just stayed there in bed for the rest of the day. And it felt amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what the figures are, but I know that during COVID, because women were just basically at home and they didn't have visitors, breastfeeding yeah. success rates shot right up. They did actually, yeah. And it happened it with COVID, it kind of happened in either one of two ways. It either went that things went really, really bad because they didn't have the support because people weren't allowed to go into houses, or actually they were really successful because all they had to do was sit and feed their baby and they could actually focus on that rather than having the additional pressures of family coming around and getting out to do things. They could literally just focus on feeding their baby. And it just shows isn't it that it really does help but we're in a very lucky situation now where you can have the support in your house if you feel like you need to and if you feel like you need a professional to come and support you but you can also stay in your house and not have to go out anywhere you can do both you know it doesn't have to be one or the other now Brilliant. Thank you so much. It's been such an amazing chat. Now, just before we sign off, um, would you just like to talk about some of the breastfeeding services that you offer so that if any of the ladies listening do want to do some work with you, if they do want to get themselves prepared, how do they do that? Yeah, so I do preparing to breastfeed sessions and I do those either in person or over Zoom, online, over the phone. I really love doing those because it's just it really helps to give people that confidence before actually going into feeding their babies and we do a really good personalized feeding plan as well making sure that it is something that works for them um i have feeding support calls as well just you know if you want to touch base regardless of what's happening and this is for both um, breastfeeding and bottle feeding as well if you do need a bit of support with bottle feeding as well there isn't a one or other so if you need to just touch base about something we can have a quick call um, and then i do um breastfeeding visits as well so obviously that would be something for only around this kind of area can't really head all the way up to like Manchester for that sort of thing but can do it close close to here so if you are around you can always get in touch to have a breastfeeding visit and then obviously I do hip birthing as well so kind of all 
my whole life is basically um, vaginas and boobs at the moment, hence the name of my business. <laughs> it's literally everything that I am. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. What I'll do is I'm going to put your contact details in the description of this podcast episode. So that if anyone does want to get in touch with you, then they have everything they need there. So do you have any parting thoughts, any last words of wisdom for, for anyone listening? Skin to skin. Don't forget skin to skin. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so, so much, B, for being here today. Um, enjoy. So yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, and you. Bye. Bye.